Welcome to David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market. Good morning and welcome to the David and David on Real Estate podcast. We are today on episode number 93 and we bring to you a very topical issue today, one that uh, a lot of professionals are talking about and it's the new TRESA legislation that is coming down the pipeline and replacing uh, the current legislation um, Rico's making some improvements. So we have our expert in the house, David Corman, with us today, as always. That's going to give us the loan down and explain to us exactly what every real estate professional out there really needs to know about the new education and the new legislation coming down the pipeline. Yeah, well, you know, change is generally a good thing, right? Like there's usually some good reason for change. The government certainly thought that we needed some change for this. So uh, we'll break it down as, as best we can. Um, so, and, and I've recently, you know, done a couple of these, uh, this topic on a couple uh, webinars that I've, that I've done and we looked into it. And, and the first thing I can tell everybody is like, it's not all fully enforced yet. So what happens? What happened here is there was an act called the Real Estate and Business Brokers Act, which you know we call REBA, and that's the legislation that governs uh, your profession, not my profession, but it's what governs uh, real estate salespeople, the the brokerages, etc. So those are registrants under under that act. And then back in in March of 2020, there was legislation to update this to improve it. And of course they changed the name to the Trust in Real Estate Services Act. So the short form is TRESA. So that's what we're calling it. And if you just look at the name, okay, Trust in Real Estate Services. So the whole purpose of this is it's really consumer protection law. That's the reason why they wanted to, the main reason why I think they wanted to change this. It's consumer protection. How do we protect the consumers in a real estate transaction from any shenanigans that might be going on by a real estate um, agent, by a broker, brokerage, things like that. So you got to keep in mind that's where they're sort of coming from by doing this. So like the, they, you know, they put out in, in their website and their, you know, and anything you can read that there is uh, that the changes will strengthen consumer protection and raise consumer confidence in the real estate sector. Okay, like as if there was a lack of confidence and you know and stuff going on. But you know we've been in a in a crazy market, as as you know, David, and and they keep passing different types of legislation that they think is going to have a certain effect on the actual real estate market and how everybody deals with it. Um, you know whether or not any changes they're proposing here is going to have one iota of a change on the actual market. Like who knows. Like the market is the market. It, it gets governed by supply and demand, like, right? Absolutely. So, so David, when you, when you read the new Tressa Act, do you see anything in there right away that, you know, bigger penalties for realtors, bigger penalties for uh, brokerages, disciplinary action? Like, let's, let's kind of dive in. And uh, I don't want to take away from your presentation, but mm -hmm. you know, let's dive in and, and kind of explore some of those topics. And, and what are some of those differences? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing to just point out is there was two phases in this. And the first phase came in a while ago, like it came into force. And that was the phase that allowed real estate agents 
to incorporate and to, to run their business through these professional corporations. So that was, that's the one really significant big change that anybody that's out there that's a, that's a realtor, you know, should appreciate. That was the one thing that was sort of done for them. Okay. To give them some tax advantage that other professions had already been enjoying. And, and for some reason, um, your profession was late to the game because they hadn't passed anything like that. So that's now available. And, and as you know, uh, you know, I know many of the agents in your office have taken advantage of it. It's not something for absolutely everybody. No, it's not. Yeah. But it's something for everybody to think about doing and consider whether it's good for them and speak to your tax accountant and determine whether or not you can take advantage of it. Because if you can do it, like it's a, it's a great opportunity. So that was sort of phase one that came in, I think October, 2020. Okay. So that's already been in, in place for, for a while. So, so that was huge. I think, you know, from anybody out there that's a real estate. So if you haven't looked into that before, speak to your tax accountant, figure out whether it's good for you. And, you know, my end, you know, we, we certainly do these, you know, we do it on the direction of the tax accountant, set it up properly, do the legal end of it. But the decision is really going to be done with your tax accountant advisor. Yeah. Okay. Most considering just very quickly, it's all about how much money you keep at the end of the year. If you're running your real estate practice in a way that there's money left over and you're and you know you're leaving money in your bank account, then consider incorporating because that money gets taxed at 10% versus your personal income. Now there could be a double taxation rule going on. So if if you're tape pulling a lot of that money out to, to pay for your lifestyle and they're you know, you're, there isn't a lot of money left at the end of the day, then there is a double taxation implication that you have to worry about. So very important that you get proper tax advice before you consider incorporating or not. But, you know, for, for those realtors that have been earning a lot of money and keeping a lot of money um, on, on the side to reinvest, to do other things with, uh, incorporation has been a life-saving uh uh, tax planning strategy. So uh, it, it's great to see it actually uh, in, in our profession. That's certainly been a welcome addition. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That That's really big. And and, um, and and for anybody that's an agent, at some point, it might be right for you. It might not be right for you today, but maybe a year from now or two years from now, it might be right for you to do. You get the tax advice, you figure out if, if, it, if it's advantageous to you and your lifestyle and your overall tax situation, because why not take advantage of anything that legally allows you to keep more money in your pocket and, and not give it to the government in pure taxes? Because, you know, each one of you out there is an individual business. You're right. And um, and you weren't allowed to do certain things before. And now that so that's a big change. And that came in and that was phase one and that got introduced. So so that's great. It's been around for, you know, since 2020, October 2020. So that's great. The second phase, which is more the consumer protection aspect of it that we're going to really talk about now, was supposed to come into effect April 1st of this year. And for some reason, and we don't really know why, it has not come into effect yet. It's just been delayed. And I know you and I were talking about it on the on the phone the other day. And we said, let's save it for the podcast because uh, we're just speculating as to why it hasn't come into effect. And, and I just think sometimes when this happens, there's a delay is because usually there's a lot of different parties lobbying the government to do something about it. It's something they don't like about it. Different interest groups have something in this act. 
and the legislation that they don't like. So they're trying to get them to amend it or tweak it or get rid of some of it. And so maybe they're just going through that process still. Maybe they've had some you know, feedback and they're just not ready to go ahead. Yeah, I, I think the liberal government um, actually campaigned on this issue, right? And campaigned on the issue of trying to get um, housing more affordable and, and trying to get more transparency in the process, right? And David, when I certainly read the Tressa Act, it, it kind of, you know, it gives sellers the ability to disclose the uh, the uh, the offer price to other competing offers. So, you know, this whole idea of open bidding is being kind of put on the table, which, which uh, you know, some people would argue would uh, offer more transparency in the whole offer process. So that's certainly on the table. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting market out there that we have right now um, with all the uh, in inflation news and interest rate announcement. And uh, uh, it, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what they add and what they take away from Tressa in the final draft and the final released version. Yeah. And look, you know, a lot of what they're, they're trying to do, like, like you mentioned is um, like they're updating the code of ethics, they're updating disclosure requirements they're weighing in on on multi representation and making sure making it pretty clear like you got to be damn careful if you're if you're doing that and we've discussed that in, in a recent podcast too um like you know, why take the risk like it's almost like it's it's becoming more and more difficult to do and as soon as something goes sideways just by virtue of the fact that you're on both ends of a deal puts you in the firing line Right. So no matter what the issue is between buyer and seller, you know, it might really be an issue between them. But because you're on both ends of it and trying to do both ends, it just puts you in the firing line. If it can't be resolved, everybody's just going to blame you. Even though it might be the seller's fault, it might be the buyer, it doesn't matter. They say, oh, you know, I didn't get the proper advice, proper representation. So, you know, some of this is putting a little more teeth into, into that and making sure realtors are. Um, thinking about it long and hard because sometimes it's just not worth the risk. And, and, you know, and there is more, you know, teeth in what they're proposing in terms of if you do something that's offside. And I don't know, you sort of wanted to jump to that, which okay. I can give you a little bit of information on the penalties and then we can work backwards. Um, uh, where was it? Hang on. I know that uh, there's a lot more disclosure requirements in terms of uh, direct and indirect uh, funding, where you're getting compensated from. So now they want you to list all the sources of, um, you know, if you're getting any sort of referral bonuses, where is that bonus coming from? Is it direct? Is it indirect? What's your relationship with that source? So they're they're getting you know a lot into that aspect um, of of uh, disclosure requirements as well. Yeah, and, and they're updating the code of ethics too, which, um, you know, there's conflict of interest provisions in there. There's confidentiality provisions in there. There's, you know, a pr provisions that say, you, you know, you've got to be careful about not obstructing the legislation. And yeah. that's, you know, if you, if you want to start somewhere, like I look to that part of what they're proposing as something you really got to be careful with um, because, you know, the best example I can give on this is what's going on in the U.S. right now with with the former President Trump and that whole documents case that he's dealing with right now. 
Okay, so it's one thing, you know, he's been accused of hanging on to certain documents, confidential documents that he was supposed to give back when his presidency ended. But lo and behold, uh, Biden had documents too. And, and Vice President Pence had documents and some other people have had documents over the years. But so you're not supposed to do that, right? That's bad. They want the documents back. So that, that's easy enough. So Biden finds realizes he's got some, he gives them back. Pence gives them back. Trump took action to not give them back and to make it difficult for them. So the charges that he's now facing, you know, I don't think he's going to get a big conviction at the end of the day on the fact that he had the documents. What he's going to face potential jail time for is his obstruction of the process when they wanted to get it back. And those type of penalties are way worse than the penalties of just non-compliance with something. So when Rico says to you, there's an investigation going on because someone made a complaint against you, you've got, and they ask for certain information, you've got an obligation to disclose and cooperate. And if you do that, you'll be, you should be fine because you'll have your day in court or a hearing with Rico or whatever they're going to do. And they'll look at you and they'll listen to you and you provide the materials. But the second you resist and not give them everything they're asking for or delay the process, they've got teeth now in their legislation to charge you with obstruction of the process. And those penalties will be way more severe on you than whatever you did on your transaction. And, and this wasn't in the previous legislation, David. So, I, I mean, this is a, you know, this is a big deal because uh, from my understanding, you know, Rico always had the ability to uh, impose some sort of a penalty on you. But if they can't get to the root cause of the issue because they can't conduct their investigation, then they can't assess a penalty. So, I mean, this wasn't in the previous legislation? Not, not to the same extent. So they've added more teeth to this. So, so you've got, you know, and RICO is, is, the, is the body that, that looks after the disciplines. They've got a discipline committee in there. So the, the new powers that are given to the discipline committee are to, they could apply certain conditions to your registration as a realtor or as a brokerage. They could suspend the registration. They could revoke the legislation, uh, the registration. So, you know, they've got options there, depending on how severe the actions are. So you, you can't ignore that, right? Like, you've, you know, it's, it's important. And again, this is consumer protection legislation. It's important that there's a regulatory body that has powers to control you. You know, it's no different than, you know, my profession is governed by the Law Society of Ontario. And if we're offside, there's broad powers there to discipline us, which can include the same things. They could suspend me from practice for a period of time. They could, they could ultimately disbar me, right? So you always know that you're not thinking about it every day, but you always know that there is an authority that you have to answer to. So you've got to, you know, we have a code of ethics too that we have to comply with. And every once in a while, certain things get, get changed in that. So you have to know you have to comply. But where they really put some teeth into this is in that obstruction legislation too. So, you know, so that's where they can really get more aggressive to you. So once they ask you for certain things, you got to be careful. You can't obstruct or attempt to obstruct any person from, you can't, one thing you can't, you can't put pressure on anybody to not make a RICO complaint against you. Okay. okay. So, you know, you got an issue on a transaction 
and they're saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to, you know, not only am I going after the seller, but I don't like the way you've dealt with me. I don't think you were acting in my interest, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to make a complaint to Rico. So your answer is supposed to be, okay, you know, like, go ahead. That's your right to complain to Rico because I'm not really worried if you do, because I think at the end of the day, I'll be vindicated. But you can't be saying, well, you know what, I'll kick something in to the deal or I'll do something in order to stop you from making a complaint to Rico. Oh, wow. That's, okay, because uh, that would be considered an attempt to obstruct Rico from receiving information and, and dealing with it. Like they, the process is they want people to be able to complain. They don't want, uh, you know, if they have to, and, and Rico's there to protect the agents and the brokerages as well. It's not like just they're accepting a complaint because they want to come after you. You know, they're, they're going to accept the complaint because they want to show the public that there is a process and then part of that process is you're going to have opportunity to defend yourself and to and to state your case. But they're putting more teeth into this. That like, like you can't obstruct or attempt to obstruct someone from going to RICO to have their their say. It seems that they're taking this whole idea of consumer protection to a whole new level um, and, and, and really, you know, giving a forum for people to really be able to voice their opinions and, and complaints and, 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 and create that due process. Yeah. The, the like, like they specifically I put in here, David, I'm going to read this to you. Sure. Registrants must not induce or attempt to induce anyone to withdraw a complaint made to Rico about the registrant. Okay. Cool. So like, that's pretty clear language, right? And, and I know like it's our natural, I know someone wanted, you know, said, I'm going to make a complaint to you to the law society. Fortunately, it never happens. But, but if they said that my instinct would be, uh, no, 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 we like, if we can resolve this, how could, you know, why bother doing that? I don't want to go through that process. You know, like, let's, is there a way that we can work this out? Right. That's sort of your natural instinct to want to do. And, and, but now this legislation is saying, no, no, don't do that. Wow. So, because, what would happen if if somebody if a client called and said, "Hey, you know, uh, you did this and it resulted in a two thousand um, dollar cost or incurred cost to me? Uh, I'm going to complain to Rico." And you say, "Well, no, I'm going to go ahead and fix that. Here's two thousand dollars of my commission. I'm going to rectify the issue." And then the person says, "Okay, I'm not going to file the claim then." So, according to this new legislation, you've done something incorrectly meanwhile you rectified the problem right. you made the customer happy you 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 know you stepped up to the plate and and you solved an issue and now this legislation is discouraging that from happening so you know when you kind of look at the face value like i understand why it's there because rico wants to hear all these negative things right right but but now you've actually you know, discourage realtors from solving that issue in the first place. Now the realtor is going to say, okay, complain to Rico, see what Rico says. I don't think I was really at fault and, and I'm not really going to have any incentive here to make this a positive experience for you because you decided to go down this path. Um, so now Rico has created a situation where, you know, they're, they're discouraging that positive customer experience thing from happening by a realtor stepping up and just solving the issue on the spot. No, I agree with you because, look, you know, we all want whatever the issue was, we want that resolved to the right. satisfaction of the parties to the transaction, right? Like that's your job as a realtor. It's my job as a lawyer. 
It's not to act in our self-interest. It's to act and get the transaction closed and make them all happy. So like you said, in your example, like you've now stepped up, even if you coughed money out of your pocket, the 2000 bucks in dispute, even though maybe it wasn't really your fault, but you say, you know what, to make this deal happen, I'm prepared to kick in something. And so, every, you, know, so you get what you're entitled to and let's get the deal closed. And, and that should be the end of the story. But under Tressa now, it's a, no, that, we don't want the story to end like that because if there's a, a legit allegation that a realtor did something wrong in the process, Rico wants to know about it. Even if it comes to them, they say, okay, the issue's never resolved, but Rico wants it on file that there was a problem. And part of it might just be because they want to have a history of you. They say, oh, this is, you know, Gorski's third time uh, in front of us or, or third complaint or something. Like maybe they just want to build up to find out who it is that people are complaining against. Because at some point in time, even though it's, oh, complain against him. Oh, it got resolved. Okay. A few months later, oh, there's another complaint against him. It got resolved. At some point, they may still want to step in and, and look at what you're doing and see if, if you should be subject to any disciplinary actions. David, I, I don't know about you, but um, anybody that does something wrong that cost, ends up costing them money, that's probably the best way of learning the lesson, making sure it doesn't get repeated again. You know, like if, for example, realtors list a condo where the hot water heater was uh, was rented and, and they wrote that it's owned and then, uh, you know, the new buyer buys the condo and, hey, my hot water heater is rented, it's not owned, the realtor ends up paying out of their own pocket to buy out the hot water heater. Let me tell you, they're not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to make it again. Right. You know, it, it was a lesson learned the hard way. Right. Right. So, you know, sometimes these things just kind of work themselves out by by there being a complaint process in the first place. When you start circumventing that complaint process and forcing people to to go down a path that you know um, creates a different different situation and 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 um, impedes the customer experience where the realtor has no incentive to step in there and, and solve that issue right away. I, I think that's a dangerous way of moving forward. And I mean, at the end of the day, Rico can come back and says, hey, you know what, you made a mistake, pay for the hot water heater. And at the end of the day, maybe the customer is going to be in the same position. But, you know, these Rico complaints take months and months and months. And now with more of them being encouraged to be made and that process um, you know, um, resulting probably in more complaints being made, I think that process is going to get pushed even further out, which is going to, again, just uh, delay the whole issue and, and add to the negativity of the con consumer experience. So, I mean, that's one of those things that I would encourage Rico to maybe take a second look at. I understand why they're doing it, but um, I just don't know if it's, it's going to play out in reality the way that they envision it. Well, Maybe, you know, that's one of the reasons why this hasn't come in yet, because, you know, you look, you look at this as an owner broker and as a realtor yourself, and you're going like, like this, in practical terms, it doesn't really work really well. Like this doesn't make sense. We want people to resolve the issue. We want the agents to jump in and help resolve the issue between a buyer and a seller, Right. And, you know, we don't, nobody likes finger pointing whose fault it is and, and blah, blah, blah. But we want, we want the realtors to stay engaged in the process and try and get it resolved. And this is sort of encouraging 
people say, oh, as soon as there's an issue, oh, I can't, you know, there's no reason for me to kick in or try and get this resolved because it's got to go to RICO anyway. So I might as well wait and see what they say and just go defend myself. But in the meantime, the deal's not closing, right? Like that sort of doesn't make sense, right? Or but, are- but I think you could still... In those type of factors, you can still kick in, you can still try and get the issue resolved, but part of that negotiation can't be, well, if I kick in $2,000, okay, now seller's happy, buyer's happy, we get the deal closed, and everybody, please agree that you will then not bring a complaint to RICO. Right. That's the part that you can't do anymore, Right. which is what you really want to do as right. a realtor, but you can't say that anymore. So you resolve the issue, hope everybody's happy. And because everybody's happy, they just decide not to go to RICO. But you can't say as a condition of me resolving this, everybody agrees that that they'll withdraw any complaints that they might have to RICO. Right. Makes sense. Right? Very interesting. That's that's one that certainly caused uh, some debate among us. So, you know, and, and that's what we're here for. That's why we're doing this podcast. And that's why we're bringing some of these things to your attention is that, you know, you're aware of what's coming down the pipeline, how it can potentially affect, uh, you know, how we're going to transact and uh, what the landscape of our uh, industry looks like. And, you know, Dave, I think this is why it's so important for realtors to become a little bit more involved, right? Mm-hmm. To uh, to voice their opinion, to know what's going coming down the pipeline. Because, you know, one rule like this has the potential to really change the landscape of, of, of how the consumers interact with realtors, right? Because now the consumer is also not really incentivized to talk directly to the realtor when once there's an issue. They're, they're just more incentivized to, hey, I'm gonna file this complaint because this is the process, right? right. Um, and we know that open communication and open dialogue is a very important step to resolving the issue. And, and this kind of discourages that. So, I mean, I agree that, you know, in the perfect scenario, the realtor should still step up to the plate, fix the issue, make it a positive consumer experience, and then, you know, um, wait out the process uh, and then go in front of Rico and, and see what Rico has to say about the issue. And, you know, if, if things go well, then Rico should be satisfied with, uh, with the resolution that uh, both parties uh, uh, agreed to. But, you know, it, it's important for realtors to know what's being proposed and and how these proposals might change the landscape of what our what our business and what our industry looks like i think that's really important yeah and look when things go bad on a transaction unfortunately a lot of times it's not really black and white right. as to whose fault it is or who did what a lot of times it's really gray a lot of times it's you know several parties may have contributed to the problem even if it's on a hot water tank you know what did the seller tell the agent what was disclosed? Did they not give full information or did they just make a mistake? But when, but as you and I know from doing this as long as we have, you know, when something goes off, everybody's looking to blame somebody else. There's a lot of finger pointing. And uh, so, so now you just have to know that you, you got to be careful. Like, like still, I think your obligation, you know, and, and they're updating the code of ethics and you, your code of ethics is saying, you know, your, your responsibility is to your client. It's not to yourself first. Like you can't be looking at, at your interests first. You have an obligation to your client. So your instinct is to get the deal done. Like that's always been my focus in trend. Something's off the rail. What can we do to get the deal done? Forget about finger pointing and blame. What's 
how do we get this fixed so we can get the deal done? Because that's in the best interest of the buyer and the seller, right? To get it to get it done. But you just have to be careful in how you're dealing with that. And I still think you have to do it, but you just have to be careful to say, like, part of why I'm doing this is to avoid you complaining against me to my regulatory authority, right? And, and if they do make a complaint, you've got to just say, fine, let the process play out. And, and if and if you're requested any information or disclosure from RICO, you got to give it to them because like I mentioned before, the obstruction part of it is going to be way worse to you than whether you properly, you know, referred to the water heater as a rental or not a rental in the transaction. Like we all, we all can make certain mistakes and those mistakes can be fixed. You know, it, it all costs 2000 bucks. Here it is, right? Like that's easier. You start getting into the obstruction or allegations that you obstruct or you didn't cooperate then in addition to, you're still gonna cost you that 2000 bucks if it was your fault, but they might suspend you for a period of time or slap you on the wrist this time. But the next time you come before them, they said, hey, we already slapped them on the wrist last time. Now we have to suspend or do something worse to them. So you don't wanna be in that position. Right. And, and you have to trust that Rico's got a process that you can defend yourself and go through that. And even if there's a decision, there's an ability to appeal those decisions. So there is protection there for anybody that's a realtor or brokerage out there by going through the process. So you get your day in court too, so to speak, but just got to be really careful to cooperate and, and not try and say, you know, like get everybody to, you know, to waive their entitlement to bring an application against you. Yeah, two very important points. Absolutely, Dave. Now, some of the other stuff that they're doing in here was, you know, to try and make it clear what a representation agreement is, who you're acting for under yeah. a representation agreement. You know, they call them, um, it used to be called customers. Now they're calling them clients. I can, for sure, if they were called clients before, they, were, they would call them customers now. They just <laughs> have to change it, right? So, and then make it clear that if you're, that you know parties can be self-represented parties that you are not representing them and that's something you got to be careful about too in this you can't let people think that you know you're acting for a seller someone comes in up unrepresented a potential buyer and you're giving them certain information on this you, it's got to be crystal clear that you're not acting for them mm -hmm. unless they sign a buyer representation agreement yeah, yeah I, I think in the old act um Realtors cross the line between clients and customers all the time, right? Um, and the new act basically says that, look, if you're working with somebody, you're working with them in the capacity of a client. So they've taken out customer service. There is no customer service under this new act. So right now, if you are working with somebody, they're your client, you have fiduciary duties to them, period, end of story. So you have a choice of having a client relationship or where the other party is self-represented. Um, so they've kind of made that distinction. And, and um, I, I think a lot of realtors were struggling in the old act between what a client was and what a customer was, right? Because if you're working with somebody, they ask you, hey, what price should I put in on this offer? The minute you answer that question, they're no longer a customer, 
now they're a client because right. they're giving them advice, you're giving them an opinion. So, you know, you're, 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 and, and those boundaries were broken literally on an hour by hour basis, you know, so one hour, oh, no, they're only my customer, right? Then they ask you a question and now you've answered it and, oh, sorry, now they ventured into being a, a into a client relationship. So, you know, to really draw a really thick line in the sand, what I think Rico's doing is they're saying, hey, listen, if you're working with somebody, they're a client, period. So now both the consumer and you know exactly, you know, what that client relationship looks like. Whereas before it was so convoluted and so many realtors stepped over that line by answering questions, by giving their opinion, by giving their advice. Um, very few realtors really, um, you know, especially in a multiple representation situation, um, well, in multiple representation situation, both clients are clients, but in a situation where one was a client, one was a customer, you know, you, it's hard to draw that line in the sand and not cross it over. So I think with this new act, they're really trying to make it black and white of, of what your representation entails. So they're basically saying, listen, if you're working with somebody, it's a client relationship, you have fiduciary duties, or the party can be self-represented where they're not your client. You can't answer any questions. You can't give advice. You can't give opinion. And you really have to draw that line in the sand. Yeah. And, and that's the challenge. Like exactly where is that line in the sand and how that's going to be interpreted. And the, the key element from what I read in this is reliance. So as soon as you're giving some information that that party might be relying on in making their decision, that's when you're probably crossing the line. So you're allowed to provide certain assistance in the process, but you can't be giving them information where they're relying on that information to make a decision. And, and they haven't given a lot of examples, but you know, one example they said in terms of what is assistance that's permitted if you're assisting a, an, a self-represented buyer to show the property, to show a listed property, okay? You're not commenting on value or anything like that. You're just providing some assistance that way. So something like that might be permitted. But if you're suggesting a price, that's clearly beyond assistance. And now that party is going to be relying on your expertise in in something like that and putting in an offer. Okay. So that, you know, that's sort of a clear example of where you'd be crossing the line. So you, you got to be very careful. So, because people are allowed to be part of a transaction, they're self-represented. If they're self-represented, you can't cross that line to make them rely on information that you're providing them or any opinions that you're providing or your expertise, because now you've just taken them on as a client. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I'm, unbeknownst to you or not on purpose, but you have. Yeah. And, and David, are you aware, did they, did they abolish multiple representation in BC? In BC? No, you know what? I don't know. I don't yeah. know if they abolished it completely. It, it's, you know, and, and like, you, you know, I've talked to, you know, about this and other things like we're always, you know, it seems like things happen in BC first and then Ontario looks at it and then they say, Hey, you know, Matt, that seems to be yeah, working over there. Exactly. Let's bring that in here. Yeah, but I, I, all I was going to say is that, you know, we're, we're pretty fortunate to still have the ability to, to represent unrepresented people in the transaction. 
because at one point there was talk about not allowing any multiple representation and you know, I believe, um, you know, Aria really lobbied against this. And, and they basically said that by eliminating multiple representation, you're actually taking choice away from the consumer. And that choice being to go to the listing agent, have them represent them, right? So it was, uh, you know, nobody really thinks about the consumer as realtors. You know, we, we tend to kind of, you know, look at the industry a little bit differently. But I think, you know, looking at it from that point of view and, and making sure that the consumer has the ability to choose who they want to type up the offer and represent them in the transaction is a really important way of looking at it. So I give kudos to Tim Hudak, to Ria, uh, to all the lobbying groups for, um, you know, making sure that we still have that ability here in Ontario. And I think it's an important consideration. And I know, David, all the pitfalls that come with it, but yeah. I think when you look at it from the consumer choice point of view, it's absolutely the right decision. Yeah. So I think that's clearly been a decision now that they're going to continue with it. Like under the old act, under REBA, multiple representation was permitted yes. as long as there were certain disclosures made to, to both parties, right? There were certain. So that hasn't changed yeah. under the new act, under TRESA. But what they've done is, they've sort of beefed up some of the disclosure requirements. So they're just trying to clarify what has to be disclosed to whom and how and when, and, and just to beef that up a little bit. So they're not, you know, they're not making, taking steps to get rid of it. They're saying, fine, if you're going to do it, because they, they recognize it, that it does make sense in, in some fact situations. And it is choice by, you know, the consumers, you know, part of their protection is to have a choice. So they're saying, fine, if you're going to do it, be careful how you do it. Make sure you disclose properly. Make sure everybody's aware that you're that you're on more than one into this and, and, and everybody understands what the rules are. And, if, and as long as everybody clearly understands what the rules are, then there shouldn't be an issue. So that's sort of where this, the change, so they're just trying to beef up the disclosure requirements a little bit. Yeah. David, is, did anything surprise you in the TRESA Act that you thought would be in there and it wasn't? Or or did anything kind of surprise you in there that, you know, you, you were surprised to see in it that you didn't think would be in there? No, I, like I wasn't really looking for certain things to, to go into it. Um, because, you know, you know, my sense, you know, I, I deal with this industry day in, day now with agents the best agents, the worst agents, um, you know, failing. The only, the only thing, if, if they would have said um, an agent, you can only be a licensed agent if you're devoting your full time and attention to doing it. You cannot be a part time agent. That's something I would find really significant because I think that would really help the industry. <laughs> yeah. no, really, when I think of it, because I, you know, I see that, you know, most mistakes that I come across on transactions are not done by the seasoned veteran pro realtors that are doing this day in and day out. Like we all can make a, a mistake, a careless mistake. We, we didn't describe the, the hot water heater properly, or we, you know, we wasn't clear in the information or we had a drafting. And anybody can do that. I'm not done with that. But part of what I find a problem in the industry is, is the part-timers that aren't on top of 
the, the forms and the latest changes and the rules and the disclosure requirements. And some of them just don't understand the transactions properly. I still see agreements of purchase still to purchase a condominium residential condominium unit that's not done on the right form. Yeah. That's done on a form that's got nothing to do with condos. And there's nothing in the agreement purchase and sale that says they have that they that they're entitled to get a status certificate. When I see stuff like that, I was like, I want that agent out. <laughs> you know, I'd love to see legislation that doesn't allow that agent to practice. Yeah. Right. But the set but part it doesn't of, work like that. Set part of the reality is that there's two agents on that transaction. So you know yeah, that's true. Two agents missed that is that's is true. Even more shocking. That's true, right? So, you know, and, and I never saw anything that was going to, you know, propose that, you know, you've got to be, you know, so, so what they do it is a different way. It's if you're not being a proper agent and you're, and you're making those type of monumental mistakes because you're not paying, you're, you're not doing this full time and you're not paying attention, you're going to run into a problem of file and you're going to come before RICO because someone's going to make a complaint and you can't try and head them off from making a complaint and those complaints will come in and then they have the opportunity to discipline those part-timers. Right. And those, and those realtors that aren't taking their profession seriously enough by making an attempt to do it. Like if you come in, if you make a mistake on a fund, you go before Rico and, and they say, Oh, you've done a thousand transactions in your career and you've never made those kind of mistakes. And you always do. And this is just a one-off type of thing. They're not going to hammer you. They're going to make sure you understand what you did wrong. You tried to fix it or you did fix it. And they're going to look at your history and then and off you go. Right. So there is more teeth, which I think is good for them to go after agents that are really doing a, you know, a sloppy job and they're, and they don't care. They're just, you know, they're, they're chasing the commission instead of trying to act in the best interest of their client. So, you know, so there is enough teeth in this to go after the, to discipline those that are, that are really repeat offenders. And, you know, I think anybody that's, that's, that's very professional about their craft as a realtor has nothing to really worry about. No, I, I agree. And I completely agree with you about the part-timers, David. I mean, you know, our industry is, is, is full of part-timers. And I think as the market shifts and it becomes a little bit more expensive to uh, maintain your, your license, I think we're going to see that change. Um, but, uh, you know, we need more education. We, we need more training. And we need to make sure that if we do allow part-timers in this industry, that they're, you know, represented and, and, and managed and under the direct supervision of um, you know of of someone that can really make sure that they're they're not making these type of errors. Yeah, and look, it's no different than in my profession. Um, you know, we have part timers too, in terms of you know how I would define them as part timers. Like we have some people who are, are general practitioners still that they're they're in court, they're doing litigation, they're doing family law, they're doing anything that'll come to them. And as part of them, they're doing a few real estate transactions. I hate getting those people on the other side of my transactions because it, it, at one point in time, we could be general practitioners in Ontario. It, it's, it's, that's 
that ship has sailed. It's really, really hard to be a general practitioner. You can't do a good job as a litigator. You can't do a good job as a family lawyer. You can't do a good job as a real estate lawyer if you're trying to do all of it. There's just too much going on in, in each of those respective disciplines. So I find it very problematic on transactions when I'm dealing with a lawyer trying to close a deal and he's in court and I can't get him. And then when I do get him, we have an issue on a file and he's never experienced it because he's doing, you know, two or three real estate closings a month, as opposed to, you know, my office is doing a couple hundred real estate closings every month. So, you know, and we have a collective experience. I'm not involved in every single transaction, but I do know every single transaction that goes off the rails you know, when some, an issue comes up, we share that information. We all gain by the experience of, of those situations and, and, know, and discuss it and know how to handle it. If you're doing two or three transactions a month and, and, and most of them are going smooth, you don't know what to do when something goes sideways. So like part-timers don't help any industry, I don't think. Yeah, I completely agree. That would have been a welcome change to at least, you know, beef up some uh, requirements around part-timers. But, uh, um, you know, we, we definitely did not see that in the legislation, but it's still being reviewed. Uh, but I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. No, but there's other ways they can get to it, because if if complaints are happening against those people and in some ways this legislation is encouraging the consumers to make those complaints, and telling you, you know, if, if, a, if, there, if a complaint is threat, you can't do anything to try and stop that process. So I think at the end of the day, I think they're hoping there will get more complaints and they can take action against those repeat offenders and those, you know, those parties that, that aren't, you know, dealing with it properly. And they'll either, you know, suspend them or, or, or discipline them enough to the point that they're going to get their act together or they're going to get them out of the profession altogether because you know the, the decision will be made that you know they can they can revoke their license or or it might just be the uh, the realtor themselves that says you know this isn't worth it for me on a part time basis I'm going to keep getting myself in trouble I'm going to go do something else right right so David is there a process for realtors to be able to comment or or share their opinion or get involved in the process. Yeah, I haven't really looked, you know, if there's something like right on the RICO site that allows you to comment or, or weigh in or something like that. You know, I know that some, you know, just do it through, you know, contacting their broker and their broker is, you know, it, like, I don't know if you're getting it and then you, you know, go to, you know, you, you know, you're part of uh, Sutton Summit and sometimes you voice it to Sutton Summit and sometimes it's the, you know, it's the head office that, that weighs in and, and lobbies. But you know, ARIA has um, has processes available on their website. You might be able to weigh in on. You can look at the RICO website. You know, I haven't really checked it out myself to see if there's a way to directly do it. But it's certainly worth doing. It's worth having the conversations. Yeah. Um, you I know, think one of the best ways would be to reach out to one of the directors of RICO, and they're listed right on the website. And email them, and and you know they would be the people that would have um, and, and be able to get you in touch with the right process and the right people to be able to voice your concerns. But um, I, I would certainly take a really good look at the Rico website and uh, you know take a look at some of these uh, proposed changes because they can make a big difference 
um, to how we transact ourselves and then how the industry um, interacts with with each other in the long run. I, I think you know it's really important that we know what's being proposed. We understand the consequences of everything, and we voice our opinion uh, to make this industry even better. Yeah, and at the end of the day, like some of this makes sense, okay? Because consumer protection legislation—it's to try and make the public have confidence in your profession. Okay, that anybody who's acting as a realtor or if you're acting as a broker or brokerage, that there's professionalism involved and that you're you're you have a code of ethics and that you have a uh, you know discipline um, against you if needed. And there is a process and all that's to create more confidence in the market. So when they're hiring a realtor, they're hiring someone who's a trained professional that's subject to a code of ethics, that's subject to certain rules, that's going to comply with it. So they don't have fear of, are they acting in my interest or are they acting in somebody else's interest? Okay, because they should have confidence they're acting in their interest. And if there is anybody else that they're also acting for, then that has to be fully disclosed and discussed and, and agreed upon by everybody. So like all that's sort of a good thing. Anything that makes you a better professional is a, is a good thing. If you, if you really think about it, right, you just have to be careful that you understand the, the change, the nuances and, and what you have to do. And I think most of it won't be that difficult for anybody to do. Um, it's, you know, some of it is sort of common sense and disclose and, you know, we'll see. But obviously they're getting some pushback on some of this. And I think that's why there's, there's a delay in, in implementing it because they got to be tweaking some of it. So, you know, those that are contacting Rico or contacting the directors or doing something, they're probably having some effect because, you know, there, there's, you know, there's gotta be a reason for the delay. Otherwise, you know, it was a year and a half after phase one and they didn't come out with, they had a year and a half to play with it. And then they said, okay, we need more time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and listen, um, I mean, I mean, I think this is this is important, and it's important that you voice your uh, opinion and and that uh, you know you pay attention to this stuff uh, for sure. Yeah, and we'll okay. we'll address this again at some point down the road when it does get implemented, and we'll see what of any of this got tweaked or changed. If there's anything significant that that happened, so you know, at some point we'll we'll look at this again, you know, down the road. Yep. And David, your office does webinars for brokerages on this topic as well. So any brokerage that's listening, contact David Corman's office. They do an excellent presentation to the agents on this as well. And uh, David, you can certainly make yourself available for those. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've done a, a few like for your brokerage. We did one uh, a couple of weeks ago. I've done a few others and, and, and there's other lawyers in my office that have been doing some as well. Um, so, you know, it's a bit of a moving target right now, but we can only talk about what's what's being proposed and what's in the legislation. Then we'll see if that gets tweaked down the road. But we just have to be aware that there are some changes coming and, um, you know, and how that's going to affect everybody. So, and I think, look, like this is coming off, you know, like how many years now have we had a market where there's been a lot of uh, multi-offer transactions and, and that sort of fuels some of this because, you know, when there's more than one offer coming in, you know, what can an agent say to sell, you know, you know, what can they disclose 
about price or about other offers that are coming in, like, you know, like what should they be disclosing or what shouldn't they be disclosing? And there's different opinions on that, right? Like I know, like from your opinion, like should the price be disclosed? I got an offer that's a higher, you say, I just got a higher offer or do you have to say, you know, I got an offer that's $10,000 higher. Like, like what's better? In my opinion is you need to be fair and transparent in the process. So if the seller says, hey, I give you permission to disclose the price. If there's five offers, then you need to disclose the price to everybody. So all five parties have the same experience and the same um, shot at getting the information, like everybody should have the same information, right? If the seller says to you, hey, disclose the price to him, but not to him, and maybe talk to him, but don't talk to him, that's where the, you know, that's where there's a breakdown of the process. But as long as everybody has the same information, then I think nobody can complain because nobody can say, hey, you know, the process is different for him than it was for me. So I think that's the key to making sure that, you know, we protect the consumer, that everybody has the same information and everybody's treated the same way in the offer process. And as long as that is happening, then I think, you know, you should follow the lawful instructions of your client. Um, and, and I like the new Tressa Act because the Tressa Act gives um, sellers now the ability to say, hey, I want you to disclose the price because I think it's going to give me an advantage. If everybody's aware of what I want, then we're going to get to, you know, that milestone faster. Now we know as professionals that always doesn't work that way, but I think having that in your tool set and in your arsenal and now being able to do that um, is an important consideration. Yeah, no, I agree with you with all of that, but you have to keep in mind too, like, I think it's good for, for it to be a fair market process. Yes. And as part of that, it's not always the price that wins. No. Right. So people get focused on the price and I wonder what the other guys pay because I'll offer more. Well, the reality is you could offer more and beat the price, but you still might not be successful because if the agent sells is doing their job properly, they're also trying to qualify the buyer. Like who's got the best ability to close? Who's got the best ability to waive the conditions, whatever conditions there might be? And who's really got fun? Who's and who do I want to deal with? Right. Because I want because I trust this other agent on this side, this other person I think is a part timer doesn't know what they're doing. I can see all the mistakes they've made in their offer. Even though the price is best, I, I think we're taking a risk by accepting that offer. We might have to give up a little bit on price and go with a better offer that's a cleaner with a, with a professional agent bringing it to us that has probably done their homework and qualified their buyer. And your advice to your son might be, no, let's take offer B, lesser price. It's a better offer. You're going to close. You're getting a fair market price. Let's do that. Right. Yeah, David, I just went through a personal transaction. Um, so I'll save this story for next time. But remind me how we went with an offer that's $25,000 less, but it was the right decision. So and, and no regrets. Oh, um, but that's a... I'll, uh, you know, remind me next podcast. I'll tell okay. you the whole scenario um, through exactly what happened, because um, yeah, it was, it was, it was just solely based on the ability of the buyer to close and their financial strength. Um, but we'll get into it next, next podcast. I'll explain the whole situation okay. exactly what happened and I'll, and I'll tell you guys why I made the decision of accepting an offer that's $25,000 less. And, and you know what I call that? I call that being a professional. 
Like that's doing your job properly. It's not price that should win out all the time. There's a, we've talked about this before. There's a number of factors and you're not doing a service to your client if you're just focused on, on price, especially in a multi-offer market. Yeah, and in the rising rate environment too, like everybody needs to be aware that on July 12th, they're going to, you know, they're, the Bank of Canada is going to convene and make yet another interest rate announcement, right? So, um, and we don't know what the outcome of that announcement is going to be. And yes, if people are pre-approved today, then they're locked in. But, you know, this will change how and what people can afford and what their carrying costs are and will have an impact on their ability to close uh, if the closing date will be after that date. So, um, you know, and the consumer confidence is huge too. Like what if that, you know, buyer turns around and says, you know what, I'm renting right now. I, I, I'm just going to walk away from my deposit, continue renting, let them come after me. Right. Um, and as a professional, you know, you don't want to put yourself or your clients in that situation, but we'll get into all the details. I'll share yep. with you guys exactly what happened. And I'll tell you guys the, um, the whole scenario on podcast number 94. Stay Great tuned. to have a teaser for the next podcast. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to it myself. <laughs> all right, David. Well, listen, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for explaining everything to us and uh, looking forward to the next podcast as always. Yeah, always great with, to be with you, David. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody.